Well, it's time for us to receive God's word. And we know that so much is going on in this world that we need a word from the Lord. And indeed, God has exactly what we need from the scripture. So I'm going to ask that you open your hearts, minds and souls and be receptive to the word of God. Today, we're going to begin actually a new series of messages dealing with storm survivors, because I don't want you giving up and throwing in the towel. I want you to know through all we're up against, you can make it. And we're going to show you out of God's word what it takes to be a storm survivor. And today we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to begin reading with verse one, but we want to ask God's blessing on our time together. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and you're our redeemer. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. As we enter into our text in 1 Kings chapter 18, it's actually tied to 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, God instructs the prophet uh, Elijah to go to King Ahab and to tell King Ahab because of his own wickedness and wretchedness and wrongness, because of all the injustices that have come in the nation, and because of the idolatry and the influence that he has had in a negative way on those people in that nation, that it will not rain for more than three years. That's in First Kings 17 and 1. For no dew, no rain for more than three years. And then when we get to chapter 18, verse 1, Three and a half years have passed. That's how quickly those years went by. Chapter 17, three and a half years. Now chapter 18, verse one. Listen to what God's word says. It says the same prophet Elijah back to the same head of state and says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth and I will send rain on the earth. I want to preach about it will rain again. It will rain again. The prophet Elijah was dealing with a head of state that had made some decisions outside the will of God. And because of that disobedience and that wickedness and that wretchedness and wrong, God says, okay, then I'm going to send a drought. And this drought you know, sometimes the storms we get in, in in this life is not what comes at us, but it's what is withheld from us. And so this drought is withholding the rain from them. And this is a these are agricultural people. These are horticultural people. These are farmers. They need that rain in order to grow their crops. This is about their livelihood. This is about their lifestyle. This is about their lives. This is an economic downturn that has taken place in this nation. And it went on for three and a half years of this drought. And, and some of us know what it means to be in a drought, what it means to be in a storm, not what comes at us, but what's withheld from us. Because in the United States, those of us who are black and brown in this nation, we, we've been in a drought. What's been withheld from us. We talk about the Declaration of Independence, this, the inalienable rights that we have of, 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 of life, 
and, and, this and freedom and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, well, we, that liberty's been withheld from us. So many black and brown people in prison that, that populates this prison system here, the liberties have been taken, withheld from us. The pursuit of happiness, the resources that do not come to our community, uh, that's been withheld from us. The lack of resources for many schools in our communities have been withheld from us. Equality has been withheld. Social justice uh, has been withheld. That we're, we're in the midst of a drought. Economic development has been withheld. Uh, healthy food options in our community have been withheld. We're in the midst of a drought in this nation because of what's being withheld from us. And in this passage, it talks about it's the head of state that's doing that. But even though it's the head of state that influenced it, that brought this drought, the prophet Elijah doing God's will had to go through it. We're going to see a widow in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. She had to go through it. Her son went through it. Others went through it. And I already know your question. If it is the wickedness and the wretchedness of the head of state, then why does this drought affect everybody? Why doesn't God just personalize this drought just for him? Because God is using this drought in more than one. God works on so many different levels. God works in so many different angles. And God uses the storms of life in order to bring out his purpose and in his, in, bring out his will in different lives. But it's the same uh, drought that they're going through. So the drought for the head of state was for discipline, for his wrong. The drought for the prophet Elijah, he was doing right, but he still needed development and direction. That's why uh, he went through that drought. The widow that we're going to, uh, to meet in 1 Kings chapter 17, she needed deliverance for herself and for her son. And so uh, God is working on so many different levels and so many different angles in order to accomplish his purpose. In 1 Kings chapter 17, when the drought came and the rains were withheld, God told Elijah, I want you to go to the to the Kerith Ravine and just you stay at the Kerith Ravine and I'm going to take care of you there. That even in the midst of a drought, God said, I'm going to take care of you. Even in the midst of this economic downturn, he's in the drought. He's got the water from the ravine. And then God said, I'm going to have ravens bringing you bread and meat in the morning. And then ravens will bring you bread and meat in the evening. So God is taking care of him even in the midst of a drought. I got to slow this down right here because I want you to understand that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead and you receive him into your life for forgiveness of sin, God becomes your father, Jesus, your big brother, the Holy Spirit becomes your keeper. And God says, I shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And even in a pandemic, even in the midst of a drought, even in dry times, even in an economic downturn, and I can testify that the God I serve will meet your need even in a drought. I once was young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their seed begging bread. God told the prophet, I'm going to take care of you. You go to the Kerith Ravine and you can drink from the water from the ravine and and the ravens will bring you bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Then in 1 Kings 17, it said, because of that drought, that the brook dried up, the ravine dried up. And God told him, now, when that, when that ravine dried up, now I want you to go to Zarephath. Because I have ordered a widow 
to provide for you. Now, I, I took care of you in this social isolation at the, at, at the, the Carith Ravine, that this time that you spent with me for your development, but now I'm using this drought to redirect you. I'm allowing the brook to dry up because I don't want you to get caught in a comfort zone that you don't move to where I want you to go. So I'm gonna dry up this brook, but I got, I, I prepared a woman for you. I pre-ordered her. I, I ordered her to provide for you, but you got to get to Zarephath. And I love that because he said he ordered this widow to do it. Ordered her. It's really pre-ordered. I, I pre-arranged it. I, God says, I predetermined this. The steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord that while your stuff was drying up over here at the Kareth Ravine, I had already pre-arranged some stuff for you. Some of us never get to what God has for us because uh, we won't leave where we are. We get in these comfort zones. And God says, I know I sent you there. You went there because I told you to go to the Kareth Ravine. But I got somewhere else for you to go. That's why he had to dry it up to, to, so he can move him and, and redirect him to where he wants him to go. Some of us believe that once God sends us someplace, that we're supposed to stay there forever. And, and so we just think, well, I heard God's voice. He told me to come here. And I'm there, no, no, God sends you to a place for a reason and a season. And then God says, but I want you to move on. I got, I got another place I want you to be that you never would have gone to had it not been for this drought. I got some more people I want to connect you with in Zarephath that you never would have gotten to. You never would have connected with these people and collaborated with them had you not gone through this drought. But you got to be willing to move because... Y'all, just because God sends you to a place doesn't mean you're there forever. You're there for a season and a reason. When the season and the reason is up, you and I got to be open to the move of God and to the redirection of God to get us where he wants us to be. So many of us, we seek to try to make permanent what God intended to be temporary. So God sends you to the Kareth Ravine. He meant for it to be temporary. You're mad at God because it dried up because you thought it was going to be permanent. No, I got another place. I got more people. I got more uh, things prepared for you. But stop trying to make it permanent, what I intended to be temporary. I was over at my mom's house before this pandemic hit. We, my family, we get together all the time. Drop off, get over our mom's house and I bring my children and they bring, my brothers and sisters bring their children and uh, and my nieces and nephews and cousins and aunts. And we show up at my mom's house. We were over there. We just hanging out and one of my nieces, she's grown. I still call her my little niece, but she's a grown woman. I, and she was over there and she just matter of factly said, I, I, need, I need to go get a perm, referring to her hair. I need, a, I need a perm. I said, niece, what are you talking about? She said, Uncle Jeffrey, look at my hair. I, I need to go get a, I need a permanent. My hair don't need to look like this. And then she began to talk about the last time she got a permanent. And she mentioned the day and time, the last time she had a permanent. She said, it's been too long. I need another permanent. I said, niece, that don't make sense. She said, Uncle Jeffrey, look at my hair. I need a permanent. I said, no, no, no. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. If you had a permanent a few months ago and you need a permanent today, that means it was never a permanent. Because had it been a permanent, it would have been permanent and you would need another permanent. What you're doing is you're calling something a permanent that's really a temporary. That might be all right with your hair, but that's not all right with some of these friendships and relationships and jobs and careers. That's not all right with some of these ministries. Yo, know, sometimes when God sends us somewhere, it's not a permanent. 
It's a temporary and we got to be open to the move of God. Don't get so tied into where God sent you that you're not open to where God is sending you. I want you to go to Zarephath. I got a widow there. Zarephath? Yo, Zarephath is in Sidon. Sidon is, is Africa. I'm sending you to black Africa because I got a widow there. I have a black African woman that I have prepared I had her, I ordered her to provide for you. I'm sending you to a place you haven't been before. I'm connecting you with people you haven't connected with before, but you got to be willing to make that move. And so Elijah makes that move. He goes there and the first person he sees when he gets to Africa in Sidon in Zarephath was this widow woman. She's picking up sticks. And, and then he, he, says, he says to her, uh, go and get me some water. Watch this. God is moving him to a different place, different people. God is doing some things in his life that he didn't do previously. One of the uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever played the game was Peyton Manning. He was in Indianapolis in our own city here uh, for a while. And he was one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. And he's great not just because of his passing ability and athletic ability, but because of his ability to read defenses. There are other quarterbacks that could throw like Peyton and quicker than Peyton, more athletic than Peyton Manning. But, but to be able to read defenses like that, he'd get in that huddle with the Indianapolis Colts and he'd call a play. they come out of the huddle. He's told his teammates, well, we're going to run where I need you to be. And they position themselves on that line. But he, Peyton doesn't rush it. He gets to the line and he begins to read the defense. He begins to look at how the defense lines up because he knows it's a strategy. It's a system of the opposition that's trying to stop he and his teammates and to keep them from getting to the goal and getting victory. But he reads that system. He reads that strategy and he sees openings that even his teammates don't see. And then he calls what we know is an audible. Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Only his teammates know what he's talking about. He begins to point and give signals and signs that the play I had just called won't work against this system. That I, I, I see something that you all don't see. So I'm changing the play and I need you to go in motion. I need you to be in a different position because the opposition is using a system that, that what we called the last time won't work this time. Here's what I'm trying to tell you that if Peyton Manning has enough wherewithal, enough sense to be able to read systems of the opposition, to know what play to call, to cancel the last play, to call an audible, to call something different, how much more shall our Heavenly Father be able to read these strategies and these systems with this rooted systemic racism, to see the openings that you and I uh, can take advantage of that's trying to keep us from the godly goals and to keep us from the victories that God has. But we got to be open to God making changes. I want you to leave uh, the Kareth Ravine, go to Zarephath, go to Sidon, go to black Africa. I got a black African sister there. She's Texas. She's a widow. So she's a black single female. Chapter 17 says she's got a son. She's a black single mother raising her child by herself, even in the midst of a drought, a dry time, an economic downturn. The prophet gets there and says, listen, uh, I just got to town. Can you get me something to drink? 
And then she turns to go get him. Boy, there's a whole sermon in that right there. In a drought, she meets this man, meets this prophet, and decides, I'm going to get him something to drink even in a drought. Even when things have dried up for me, I'm still going to be a blessing to somebody else. Then as she's going to get him something to drink, then he, the prophet hollers out, and bring me something to eat too, I'm hungry. And she didn't turn around and say, you know we in a, in a drought. You can see I'm a black single female trying to make it. I got to raise my son by myself in this economic downturn and this racist patriarchal uh, co community that I'm in that looks at me as less than a person. And then you're going to ask me that she didn't do all that. Here's what she did. She explained her situation to him. She says that this drought has really messed me up. You're asking me for something to eat. But all I have is a handful of meal. I got a little bit of oil. And my plan was to go home and cook this last piece of bread for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. Watch her financial plan in the predicament that she's in. My financial plan is to take a handful of this cornmeal that I have, this little bit of cooking oil that I have. I'm going to put that together, make this last piece of cake for my son and I. We're going to eat it and die. And then the prophet said something that's really disturbing to a lot of people. Go on and do what you said but make the first one for me. The reason why that disturbs so many people, because so many people think that poor people should not have to participate in contributions and donations, that poor people should not have to participate in the purpose of God. God had already said, I ordered this woman to provide. And then we give her a pass because look at her predicament. God doesn't give us a pass because of our predicament. Even when you're reading scripture, I know we try to act like everybody in the Bible that knew Jesus and knew God, that they were rich and, and free. And no, no, there was a lot of oppression going on in the Bible, especially for the Hebrew people, whether it's the Egyptian oppression, uh, whether it is the Babylonian oppression, the Persian oppression, the Roman oppression. But in that oppression, God still said, bring the tithes and the offering. In that oppression, God still said, give and it shall be given unto you. Even in that oppression says that if you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. You don't get a pass because you're in a different predicament. We still have to abide by the orders of God and learn how to give, even though I have a little. And here she is with a handful of cornmeal, a little bit of oil, and he said, make the first one for me. And she had a choice to make. She had a decision. I got to make a decision in my predicament, in this economic downturn. I can, I can make this contribution to what God has ordered me to do and live. Or I can hold on to the little I have, spend it just on me and my family, and die. And she decided, no, no, I'm going to do what God ordered me to do. And when she blessed the man of God, God blessed her. Because I, I learned this a long time ago. When you take care of God's people, God will take care of your people. When you bless God's family, God will bless your family. When you help take care of the bills at God's house, God will help take care of the bills at your house. And she made that contribution. Y'all, I don't care if you rich or poor or anything in between. The word of God is true that when we give, blessings are tied in with that. That God opens the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You don't have room enough to receive it, that God will give it back to you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That the God I serve, here's what it says in Galatians. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a person sows, that shall they also reap. You got to listen to this carefully. That whatever any of us sow, that is what we reap, which means in so many instances, to a certain degree, you and I determine the level of our own blessing to a certain degree. Whatever you sow is what you reap. So if I sow nothing, I reap nothing. I, to a certain degree, I'm determining the boundaries of my own blessing. 
If I sow a little, I reap a little. I determine that by the choice I make. If I sow a lot, I reap a lot. You determine to a certain degree the boundaries of the blessings that some of us are missing out on blessings because we want to take the little that we have and just use it for me and my family rather than on what God ordered you to do with it. And she took that and she blessed that man of God with what God ordered her to do. And when she took her last, she sold it. I'm down to my last handful of cornmeal. I'm down to my last oil. And he said, make me the first ones. Spend the first one on what God told you to spend it on. And when she did that, though, in First Kings chapter 17, it said that the jar she kept her meal in, it never got empty. And that the, the jar she kept her oil in, it never went dry. It never ran out. She said, I'm down to my last, but she gave God first. And then what God did was to make her last to last. Y'all, sometime when God blesses us, he pours into our life. He'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. But sometime the blessing of God is not God pouring blessings into our lives, but preserving the blessings that we already have. The, the, her meal, her last handful of meal never ran out. That last uh, oil never ran dry because God allowed her last to last. Somebody, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God didn't bless you with a new Benz and a new Beamer and a new Bentley. Uh, you still got that same 14-year-old car, but it gets you back and forth to work. It meets the needs of your family, everything. I know you got 200,000 miles on it, but it still accomplishes God's purpose in your life because God made your last last. I know you in this economic downturn, you can't afford to go buy a new outfit every month. And so you sitting up here having to put on the same clothes, but you still look good in them because God is making your last to last. When the children of Israel were in that wilderness, leaving Egypt, going to the promised land for 40 years, wasn't no, wasn't no markets out in the, no, no growth. No, no stores out in the wilderness. Well, no malls in the wilderness. No, no shopping centers in strip malls in the wilderness. They had the same clothes. But what God did was to make their last last. That's my word to you. Do God's will. Sometimes God will pour a blessing into your life. But I'm a witness. Sometimes God has just preserved a blessing you already have. God will make your last last. And God used this black single female sister in order to live this purpose out that God had for the prophet and for the nation of Israel. A black sister? Yeah, here's what I'm trying to get across to you. That the God I serve uses the least likely personalities to accomplish his purpose. Now, I'm not talking about least likely from God's perspective. I'm talking about the least likely from the perspective of people. Because in, in that day, this black single female, this black single mother, she lived in a day that's patriarchal, that sexist, that looked at women as property. And then she's in poverty too. People didn't look for her to do nothing. God did, because God uses the least likely personalities in order to live out his purpose. Even in 1 Kings chapter 17, when, uh, when Elijah was, when the prophet was at the, the Kareth Ravine, God said, I'm going to have a raven to bring you bread and meat in the morning, and a raven's going to bring you bread and meat in the evening. A raven? Y'all, ravens are scavengers. 
Ravens do not give, Ravens take. Ravens have a mentality of taking, not giving. But God says, I'm going to rewire this raven in order to live out the purpose that I have for you in your life. I'm going to use the least likely personality to make it happen, whether it's this raven or this black sister that other folk in her economic status are looking down on. And this will not be. This, wouldn't, this, this is not the first black sister in scripture that God will use to live out his purpose because you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter one through four and Eve is there. That black sister, God used her. You can go on to Exodus and in Exodus there's a, a black Nubian princess, the, the Pharaoh's daughter that pulled Moses out of that water and helped raise that deliverer as her own child. God used a black sister then. You can go on back in still in Exodus with Sipporah, Moses' wife, that black uh, that, that black woman, that African that God used to save his life and, and to raise those children with him in that marriage. And, and God keeps using these black sisters like Ruth, who ended up in the ancestry of Jesus Christ himself, or Rahab when the children of Israel got ready to go to the promised land. It was that black sister that helped them to be able to get the advantage and to get the victory all through scripture. We see God using one black sister after another. This black sister in in first Kings 17 is not the first black sister God would use and it ain't the last black sister that God would use black sisters like Harriet Tubman that black Moses uh, or, or, or black sisters like Madam C.J. Walker that empowered other black women all over the nation to have some financial stability for themselves or black sisters like Mary McLeod Bethune that trained up or taught and educated young boys and girls or, or black sisters like Rosa Parks who became the catalyst for the civil rights movement. God keeps using one black sister after another. Black sisters like Isabel Baumfree that changed changed her name to Sojourner Truth because she would sojourn this nation telling the truth about slavery. Thank God for the black sisters that so many people have overlooked, that so many people didn't think anything about them. But when God got ready to bless, he chose a black sister, the least likely. And that's the kind of God I serve. That y'all, when God gets ready to make some moves, that God uses the least, and I, I see these black sisters now, these black mayors and these black uh, female chief of police and uh, these black decision makers and lawmakers and Congress people. It wasn't just Shirley Chisholm. We got it going on right now because God using black sisters, the least likely personalities that God puts in place to be a blessing to us back in the, in the 60s when we were protesting and marching for civil rights and 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 voters rights and social justice. There were so many black people out there doing that march and there was a lot of black people and just a few white people out there. But in, in the 21st century, we still protesting and marching for social justice and civil rights. But it ain't just black people, there's a whole lot of white people, a whole lot of Latinos because God uses unlikely personalities to show up to bring out his purpose. I believe it was 2005, it was um, Western Oregon University was playing against Central Michigan University in softball. And they were at the game that whichever team won this game in this softball, whichever women's team won the game, then they would go to the next level and get to play in the playoffs. And, and I believe it was uh, Division Two, And so it's in the second inning and uh, the game is zero to zero and Sarah Tanowski gets up to plate. 
and it's two runners. She's with Western Oregon University. It's two runners on the base. She's at the plate. They need to win this game. They got to get this victory to go to the next level. And she's never hit a home run in her entire softball career. As a little girl, she never hit a home run. In junior high school, she never hit a home run. In high school, she never hit a home run. Playing in college, she never hit a home run. In any practice, at any level, she had never hit a home run. And she got a pitch that she liked, swung on it, got a good connection, and hit a home run. She was so excited. Two base runners on, and then here she comes. It's going to be three to nothing. They got a chance to win and go to the next level. And as she's running the bases, she's all excited. She missed first base. Those of you who don't know the game, when you're playing softball and baseball, even if you hit a home run, the point doesn't register until you touch all the bases. She missed first base. And when she missed first base, so many people have done that through the years, she just came back to get to the base. But when she turned back to get to first base, something happened. It was an awkward turn. She tore a ligament in her knee and she fell to the ground and she crawled over to first base and in pain, she embraced first base. And then her first base coach was getting ready to come and help her and the other coaches came out screaming don't touch her don't touch her because if he touches her she's out and the home run doesn't count and then he's telling they telling the players don't touch her from her own team if her own teammates touch her uh, she's she's out and that that she's disqualified that home run will not count and there she is in pain her own teammates and coaches can't help her cannot touch her and then they start asking the umpires well can we bring in a pinch runner the umpire said, well, according to the rules, you can bring in a pinch runner, but the home run won't count. It'll just be a single. She'll be at first base. So they were trying to figure out, she hit the home run, but she's, she's hurting. She can't stand. She can't run. She's broken. She's fallen. But how's she going to touch the bases in order to get the victory to go into the next level? And finally, the first base player of the other team asked the umpire, can I help her? And the umpires got together and said, there's no, no rule against opposing team helping her. You can help her. And then the first base player of the opposing team called for the shortstop of the opposing team, come and help me. And they picked up this girl. And then they helped her to touch first base. Then they picked her up and carried her down to second base so she could touch that. Then they picked her up and they carried her to third base and let her touch it and carried her home. And, and they ended up getting the score and the home run and the victory and going to the next level because the least likely personalities stepped in to help her accomplish that goal. Y'all, don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't hold up the white flag of surrender. I know it looks bad. I know things look crazy and things are crazy, but I serve a God that will use the least likely personalities to show up in our situations. I'm just looking forward now to just, just to see who God's going to raise up, who God, people that we never looked at, people we overlooked, people we counted out, people we didn't think anything about. And God's going to raise them up to get us to where he needs for us to be. So she goes, she gets that last, she gives it to him. God blesses her. And then here is um, the prophet going back to the head of state of that nation. And he told him this time in 1 Kings 18 and 1, three and a half years later, that it's going to rain again. It's been dry. It's been a drought. It's been an economic downturn. Livelihoods, lifestyles, lives have all been jacked up and messed up. But he said, God told me to tell you 
It will rain again. That's why, y'all, we can be storm survivors. It, we can make it. You don't have to give up. You don't have to turn to drugs and alcohol. You don't have to turn your back on God. You don't have to sit on the sideline. You don't have to sit around in depression because no matter how bad this drought has been, it will rain again. The very thing that we've been asking for and praying for, that God is getting ready to pour, is getting ready to come in from above our heads. God is getting ready to lease, release something from above us to show up in our situations, to give us what we need. We've been asking and seeking for what has been withheld in this drought, for justice and righteousness and equality, inclusiveness. And now the prophet says, God, it's getting ready to send rain. It's going to rain again. The prophet said that we're going to see judgment, justice that's going to rush down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. What would make water rush down? What would make a quiet meandering stream be a mighty stream? I'm telling you, it's when it rains. God, it's going to rain again. And that justice is going to rush down like water when it rains. When God releases this from above our heads, as God intervenes and gets involved, that, that meandering little quiet stream is going to be a mighty stream of righteousness. God is going to make it rain. And I want you to understand that when it rains, it pours, that God is in the blessing business. And you don't have to give up. You don't have to turn your back on God. You don't have to lose your hope and your expectation because God told me to tell you it's going to rain again. That's how chapter 18 opens up. And then when chapter 18 ends, it ends with a storm. <laughs> the clouds got dark. The winds began to blow. A storm set in. And it was out of that rain, out of that storm that the rain came. I only got one point to my little message today. And the one point is this, that God will allow a storm in order to send what you need. What is it that we've been praying for? The rain? God says, oh, I'm gonna give you rain, but I'm gonna send a storm in order to give you that rain. We've been praying for equality. We've been praying for social justice. We've been praying for economic development. We've been praying for resources, for education in our community, for our children. All that stuff we've been praying for, and now we see all hell broke loose, you don't get it. God allows the storm in order to provide the very thing we've been praying for. God has not given up on you. God has not forsaken you. The Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. When you believe Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead and you receive him by faith, God's Holy Spirit moves inside of you. His Holy Spirit, he is God in you. He cannot leave you. But the storms that you and I go through is God setting it up to, in order to pour out of the storm the very thing that you've been asking God for in the first place. Let me close my little message like this. This was a few years ago. I was in, in Dallas, Texas, and it came on the news uh, that a woman, 72 years old, was out at North Park Mall on the north side of, it's actually an upscale neighborhood, North Park Mall in Dallas, Texas, and a 72-year-old woman was shopping as she comes out of the mall with her packages. A couple of men jump on her, 72 years old, and they beat her down to steal her packages. And then they throw her in the trunk of a car, 72 years old, and they take duct tape, and they duct tape her wrists together, and they duct tape her ankles together, and they duct tape her eyes, and they duct tape her mouth, 
and then close the trunk on this old lady. And then they're driving from Dallas to Oklahoma City. And in that journey on the highway from Dallas to Oklahoma City, they stop the car, pull over to the side of the road, take her out of the trunk, and throw her in a ditch. 72 years old, duct tape on her wrists, ankles, eyes, mouth, and they just left her in that ditch. And then it started to rain. And I got to admit, when it started to rain and the reporter's telling this story, I'm like, God, I know you, you made us free moral agents. I know we have a freedom of choice. We get to choose. And those men chose to beat up a 72-year-old lady, and they chose to duct tape that lady. They chose to rip her off. God, I know we have choices. You, but God, the rain, you didn't have to, you didn't have to make a, a rainstorm come while the woman's in a ditch all tied up and beaten. And then... The reporter said when it began to rain, that rain got between the duct tape and her skin and loosened it up. And she was able to free her hands and pull that duct tape off her eyes and mouth and feet and now climb out of that ditch and was able to wave down help and get the help that she needed and the deliverance that she needed. My point is this. God sent a storm to set her free. We've been praying for all this social justice, all of this equality, all of these rights. We've been praying and asking God, God, you got to send us what we need. And the next thing we know, here comes a storm. Not knowing that God will send a storm to answer your prayers. God will allow a storm to give you the very thing you've been asking for. Y'all, it doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It won't always be like this. God, God said it's going to rain again. That God is going to send what we need to give us the deliverance. We, it won't always be like this. That God is in the business of turning things around in your life. He'll perfect that that's concerning you. Sooner or later, it'll work in your favor. He's turning it around for us. Trouble don't last always. Don't you give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't hold up the white flag of surrender. God told me to tell you, even out of this pandemic, even out of this drought, it will rain again.